Grab your Bibles. Today we are finishing chapter one of First Peter. So those of you who are just joining us, we started a couple months ago the book of First Peter, and we have been walking through little by little, a few verses a week. Um, we will finish uh, verse one. If you don't have a copy of the Bible, you can follow on the screen or just use one of the ones that we have in the basket. Raise your hand. Somebody will give you one. Um, look at verse 22 with me. Chapter one, verse 22 says, having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. If you've been with us so far, this is a new, t- a new twist. This is a new turn in the book, right? Peter is writing to a group of, of people, very much like the Syrian crisis that we see now, who have, for various reasons, been scattered all over Asia Minor, present-day Turkey. They have been scattered all over, and he's writing to these new churches and uh, giving them instruction. And so far, we've seen deep meditation on our salvation. He starts talking about how, how to meditate on our salvation deeply. We've seen warning about misplaced hope, right, and a call to holiness. So sitting down and actually thinking, where does my hope lie? Is it on the coming of the Savior, the day that he comes to us? Is my hope placed there or is my hope somewhere else? Is my hope here? Is my hope in that relationship? Is my hope in uh, this job or that situation to improve? Where do I place my hope? We've been called to that, called to holiness. Last week, we were called to conduct ourselves with fear during our time of exile on earth, okay? Because we have been ransomed by the precious blood of Christ, right? Conduct ourselves with fear, with reverent fear, living constantly in reverence that our God is with us all the time. And then that affects how we should live. And also, we were ransomed by the precious blood of Jesus from our sinful way of life. And we we, uh, talked about this in our life group, but we also uh, mentioned it last week. A lot of times when we talk about our salvation, when someone says, I'm saved, what do they mean? By that, What do they mean when they say, well, I've been saved? Well, the, the natural follow-up question is, well, saved from what? Right? And a lot of people say saved from hell. Okay? Or saved from the consequences of my sin. But what he was saying, what Peter's saying is, what you're actually saved from is the way you used to live. Your sinful way of life. All the patterns of sin that you inherited, that you then kept walking in, is what God rescued you from with his own son's blood. And so what happens is, what's interesting, especially now in 21st century America, where everybody who walks an aisle and prays a prayer and goes to VBS and raises their hand and then continues to live the rest of their life as though nothing has changed, Peter would look straight at those people when they say, I'm saved. And he's going to say, from what? Say, from what? You're doing everything you used to do. You've not been saved from anything. You're still walking in the same way that you've always walked. What do you think you're saved from? So he really... Uh, expands our concept of what it means to be ransomed and what it means to be saved from the way of life uh, that, that we were once living. Now, look at the main command in verse 22. What is the main command in this verse? Having purified your souls by obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. That's it, isn't it? That's the main command. Love one another earnestly from a pure heart. This command to love one another shows up all over the New Testament. And just think about it. Pretend right now that we are in uh, the first century, okay? This is a new church, okay? We just got started, and um, I'm not going to ask you to pretend that I'm the Apostle Paul. That, would be, that just wouldn't go great at all. But that, that p- pretend someone planted this church, right, and, and we're just beginning, 
and we're just made up of a lot of different people from a lot of different walks of life, and there's no Bible yet, okay? And we need some guidance as to how we're supposed to relate to each other, okay? Because we're all over the place in terms of type of people. That's how it was in the early church. Just think about the breakdown um, politically, okay? You had a guy like Simon the Zealot and Matthew the tax collector. Okay? Politically, those guys couldn't be further apart. They were both Jewish people, but Matthew, the tax collector, would actually go to his fellow Jews and take taxes from them to pay Rome. Had in his pocket at the same time. Right? Those guys were hated among the Jewish people because they sold their souls to Rome. Okay? And then you got Simon the Zealot, right, who's got a concealed carry for his little dagger, right? And he's zealously trying to oppose Rome to get Rome out of here so we could, they could have their land back, okay? So those two guys breaking bread together every single week. What do you need to tell those guys, right? Jesus brings them together. They're both following him, okay? Economically as well, right? You'll see G Jesus in story after story throughout the New Testament. He's got beggars that are getting saved and healed, as well as tax collectors like Matthew, who are very wealthy. Okay? Both of those people, the rich and the poor, in the same church. Intellectually, right? Educationally, same situation. You got Luke, a physician, and Peter, who's a fisherman. Okay? So you've got these, and, and I don't know if you know this, but the book of Acts was written by Luke, who also wrote the book of Luke, right? And Luke records and talks about the, uh, uh, writes about the book of Acts as he's traveling around with Peter or uh, Paul. And so what you have is somebody who is incredibly intellectual, right? And he's got a, 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 an MD of sorts, right? He's been to school a lot, but he's following fishermen around, okay? And he's recording the life and times of what's everything's going on in that situation. So uh, politically, educationally, um, socioeconomically, all these people from all these different walks of life coming together, being brought into the same church. So when they're trying to figure out how they're supposed to get along, they don't have a Bible yet to guide them. What exactly are they supposed to do? Peter, Paul, all these people who write these letters, what do you say? Love one another earnestly. Like above all, Jesus says that's the first and the greatest commandment is to love God. The second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. They had to constantly be exhorted to actually enjoy being with each other. They had to be exhorted to serve one another and, and, um, and love one another with a pure heart. And that's what we're going to look at today. All they know is Jesus is Lord and we're supposed to love each other purely. Well, how? Look at this. It says, love one another earnestly and love one another from a pure heart. Okay? So when we're talking about loving each other earnestly, what does that mean? That, that means that we're not just tolerating each other. Okay? That means we're not just tolerating each other. Oh, I'm okay. I don't really have anything against that person. They're okay. That's not it. Loving each other earnestly means looking out, looking for intentional ways to show love to each other, to the church, to other people in your church. Look for ways intentionally to show love to them. Love one another earnestly. Don't just tolerate each other. Don't just show up on Sunday and smile and say, how are things going? Great youth, great, right? But intentionally trying to show love to one another. Asking themselves, asking ourselves, how can I show that person love this week? And so it's loving earnestly and loving with a pure heart. Look at how 
uh, he explains this at the beginning of verse 22. Love one another from your pure heart. He says, having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth. Purifying your soul. Souls purified through obedience to the truth. If our souls gain more purity through obedience to the truth, then how are our souls corrupted? Think about this. Are you, are you tracking with me? Right? If your soul is purified by obedience to the truth, the truth of scripture, the truth about what God has said, then how is your soul corrupted? How do our souls get corrupted? How do our hearts get corrupted so we can't love each other purely? How does that happen? Well, disobedience to the truth, right? That's the opposite of obedience to the truth. Disobedience to the truth. And you know what this is like as well as I do. When you know that you're not right and you're not walking how you should walk and you're not living in obedience to the truth, your soul does get corrupted and then you find it difficult to love others. No? Is that not true? That when you know you're in sin, when you know you're not walking according to the truth like you should, you get grumpy and you find it, you find it very difficult to love other people as you should from a pure heart. So disobedience to the truth, walking continually in disobedience, it corrupts the heart and then you're not able to love. Well, what's another way that our soul gets corrupted? How about dwelling on falsehood, dwelling on lies? That's another way, not just disobeying the truth, but also dwelling and spending all of our time dwelling on and walking according to falsehood. That's also how this works. There's a chain reaction here. When you dwell on falsehood, when you dwell on things that aren't true, it corrupts your soul and then it, it, it makes you not able to love well. So dwelling on falsehood leads to, leads to a corrupted soul, leads to the inability to love well. Well, what kind of falsehoods do we think about? What kind of falsehoods do we dwell on? What do you dwell on? Think about this. Lies about ourselves, maybe? Those are some things that we dwell on. Lies about ourselves like... Um, how amazing we are is a, a lie that we tell ourselves because we're constantly justifying ourselves in contrast to what other people might think of us, okay? We're, we're dwelling on that. Or lies about ourselves, about how terrible we are, okay? There, those are also things. Lies about how great we are or lies about how terrible we are or lies about other people, right? So conversation often that I have with people is, wait a minute, everything I just heard you say, someone who's in conflict with someone else, and they're talking to me about the conflict. Everything that you just said is dubious as to whether or not it's true about that individual. Have you actually asked the individual if that's what they think? Or is this something, is this a narrative that you're creating for yourself so you can justify being angry with them? Right? I deal with this all the time. What we do is we tell ourselves, we, we walk according to falsehood, it corrupts our soul, and then it makes us not able to love well. That's why he says, love one another, having purified your souls by obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love. We also, tell, we also walk according to lies about our current situation. Okay? We live according to falsehood all the time, and that has a corrupting influence on our heart and makes us not able to love well. Those stories, then, are what we live by. We don't, we're not obedient to the truth, but obedient to lies. This is soul-corrupting and keeps us from loving each other well. And I'm not just talking about loathing each other. So when I, talk, when I say we're not actually loving each other uh, well, I'm not just talking about loathing, that you've got this, you, when you mention, someone mentions their name, you just can't stand them. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm also talking about ignoring each other. 
That means being completely indifferent. It means you haven't actually thought about each other in order to love each other well. It's not just about loathing, it's about just ignoring each other, not thinking to love somebody else, okay? That's, that all comes to, I don't know if you've ever thought about that, if, if you've ever thought about why doesn't, why doesn't my heart actually feel a um, great amount of affection for these other people? What's getting in the way of me and a genuine loving relationship with everybody? And I'd also have to say this, in our hyper-connected culture, there are books being written about this almost every week now, about how we've, not, we've lost the ability to actually be friends, to actually have close personal relationships, intimate relationships, because we're so superficially connected with everybody online that the actual ability to have someone in an intimate, genuine friendship more and more, we're, more we're, we're lost. We've lost the art of befriending one another in our current. What does that? What, what keeps us from those intimate, loving relationships? And what I'm seeing here is we need pure souls that are obedient to the truth in order to love each other well. Our souls must constantly be purified because we must constantly be exposing ourselves to the truth about us, about others, about the situation that we're in. And what's the truth about other people according to God? They're beloved by him. Christ died for them. Right? They're valuable in his eyes. There's constant things we could be telling ourselves about other people that would cause our affection for them to increase. Right? This is not the way the church should be. Our souls should be purified by obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love. So look at why this is true of us in verse 23. Verse 23 says, since you have been born again. So love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. Why is it true of us that we should actually have brotherly love for each other, genuine affection for one another? Well, because we've been born again, not of an imperishable, not of a perishable seed, but an imperishable. What does he mean by that? Well, I'm not, he's not talking about the seed that you plant in the spring, right? That then will grow up into a plant. He's actually talking about the other kind of seed, right? The DNA sort of, you know, that kind of seed. That's what, that's what we're born of God. God's seed abides in us through his word. So what he's literally saying is your new birth happened because God's DNA was put in your veins. Not literally, but you were born of God. His DNA put in your veins. And when you heard his eternal word and you believed it, that's going to affect who you are. There's supposed to be family resemblance between how God feels about that person and how you feel about that person. Because you were born again God put his seed in you and enabled you to love how he loves. His DNA is literally in, not literally, in you, okay? This word is also imperishable and unfading. It means it doesn't wane. It doesn't decrease, right? It doesn't fade. It doesn't, it's not contingent upon how well they're behaving. All of those things, that's like God's love for those people that becomes our love, Okay? This word is imperishable, unfading, living, and abiding. And look at verses 24 and 25. For all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. This word, the eternal word, 
the word that made us alive again, the word that God used to awaken us to his glory and to the, um, his goodness and our sin is the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is, this is what he's saying. This word is the good news that was preached to you. Good news, just another way of saying gospel. The gospel that was preached to you is the very thing that woke you up. The eternal word that gives you life and lets God's life animate you is the gospel itself. The bizarre, offensive message about an executed, dark-skinned Middle Eastern guy 2,000 years ago is the very eternal word that breathed life into you and enables you to love one another sacrificially. The good news, think about this. So this, this church just gets started. And what do they all have in common? What do all these people have in common, brought from all different walks of life? What do they have in common? Well, they have in common that someone came to them and said that you can't fix yourself. You can't fix the emptiness that you feel. You can't fix the sins that you need atonement for. You can't get forgiveness anywhere else except by trusting in this guy who was hung on a, a cross on your behalf a few years ago. He rose from the dead to demonstrate he had power and victory over your sin. And you must entrust yourself entirely to him and call him Lord instead of yourself Lord. If you do that, forgiveness of sins is yours. And now you belong to a body, a group of people known as the church who have all made the same confession. Who have all been baptized declaring that their sins are no longer theirs. They have been forever forgiven. All of those people, all you guys together, have this in common. That word, when it came to you, breathed life into you, gave you a whole new identity, adopted you, brought you into the family of God. And so that very message is the eternal word that was proclaimed to you and gave you new life. And because you're born again with God's DNA running through you, because his seed is in you, that <coughs> doesn't fade and never runs out, then you should feel the same way about each other that God does about you. Your, the embrace of the gospel, constantly bringing the gospel over and over again into you, telling it to yourself, hearing it over and over again, every single time we go to the Lord's Supper, right, and take it and proclaim it among each other, we're reminded once again of our absolute inadequacy to make ourselves right before God. And what does that do to you when you come face to face with your inability to make yourself right before God? Well, you can no longer be telling yourself falsehoods. You can no longer come face to face with the cross of Christ while still hiding your sin. You can, but it's very, very dangerous as we read every single week. is is dangerous, very dangerous if you're holding on to unrepentant sin and approaching the table. It's very dangerous. It is not to be trifled with. We, we come to the truth of all truths when we come to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And when we're coming face to face with that, how can we look to each other with anything but love? The gospel is not just something that changes your eternal address. It changes your blood type. Meditating on the gospel every single day, constantly drinking in who you are in light of the gospel of Jesus Christ changes your blood type continually. You are born of God, born of truth, imperishable. There should be an unmistakable family resemblance in how we love one another. Let me ask you some questions. How does a pure heart love when the gospel is everything? 
How does God love? Well, let's think about this. If, if we're supposed to love one another earnestly from a pure heart that is put there by God, what does this look like? Well, it pays no attention to merit. Pays no attention to merit. Like, if you're like me, I'm gonna love you. If you've treated me with respect, I'll treat you with respect. That's kind of a, an unspoken rule, isn't it? You treat me with your, if you treat me with respect, I'll treat you with respect. It doesn't come from God, does it? It's, you scratch my back, I'll scratch yours. No, God is, you stab my back, I'll scratch yours. It's unmerited love. It's, it's love that doesn't expect anything in return. This is the kind of love we should have for each other. Love that pays no attention to uh, intelligence, economics, political affiliation. It doesn't look at those things. It's like God's love. He doesn't reserve or hold back a certain degree of love because of any of those factors, right? What else is God's love like? Well, there's no strings attached. Because I loved you, because I did this for you, I expect that now you're gonna do all of these things for me. Or have you ever said this? Listen to me. Have you ever said this? After all I've done for you, this is how you treat me? After everything I've done for you. That's strings attached love, right? That's my sacrifice for you. I should be getting a whole lot better treatment by now. That's not God's love flowing through you. See, this is, love from a pure heart looks radically different than most of the standards that you and I put out there for each other. Love from God takes initiative. We love earnestly. You're the first one to go show love in someone's time of need. The first one to get there. Loving earnestly takes initiative. Love doesn't end. We can't stop, we can stop loving each other sacrificially when God's word is no longer true. <laughs> because this is the eternal word, imperishable word of God that animates us to love one another. That's what this is. It's the eternal word of God that animates us to show love towards one another. So it's not going to end. That means they can't mess up too many times and then you stop loving them or showing them love. They can't mess up too many times. You always come back with love because that's the same thing God does to you daily, right? Every single day he comes back to you with love when you totally blew it the previous day. This is love from a pure heart. They can't mess up too many times. And it's rooted in truth as defined by God, not as defined by you. So let me ask a few questions for us this morning. Who, and I want you to put names and faces in your mind. Don't say it out loud, but put them in your mind. Who are you struggling to love? Who do you actually, and it could be an individual or it could be a category of individuals, but who do you struggle to love genuinely from a pure heart? What lies are corrupting your soul and keeping you from seeing them like God does? Go ahead and go through the list. What lie? Because this, this is the chain reaction that we talked about, right? Falsehood, it's not rooted in the truth, leads to a corrupted soul, leads to corrupted love, impure love. Who right now do you find it difficult to love? And then what lies are you telling about yourself and about them 
that has corrupted your soul that prevents you from showing them love like God loves. Are you intentionally trying to see them in light of the gospel? What if God looked at you the same way that you look at them? It'd be terrifying, wouldn't it? You've messed up too many times. You didn't treat me the way I should have been treated. What if God's words were those words? God's words to you were those words. Is your love sincere or just a show? Love from a pure heart is genuinely sincere. Look look at verse 22 again. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, an unhypocritical brotherly love, a love that actually you feel and you're not just pretending to feel. That you're not just putting on a show when you're around them, but there's a genuine affection that you have for them, rooted in truth, rooted in the gospel, and unwavering. It's hard and it's radical because people are dumb. I get it. People are dumb and they do dumb things sometimes and it makes it very difficult to love people. But you are too. Welcome to Crossing Church. You're dumb too. And God came to you and said, in light of all of that, and in light of everything that you continue to do, I'm going to set my love on you that you don't deserve, and then I'm going to set you on a course where you can continue to be less dumb. And then you can continue to make much of my son Jesus every single day with your life, and every day I'm going to show up as a God who loves you Unconditionally. And this is, this is power. It's not power. There is no power in God saying, just treat people as well as they treat you. The world can come up with that. But the world can't come up with this. The world can't come up with genuine, pure, brotherly love that's sincere, unhypocritical, and undeserved. Because God is the one who animates our love for one another. This changes the world. Is your love sincere or is it just a show? Look again at verse 24. For all flesh is like grass and all its glory like a flower of the grass. The grass withers and the flower falls. But the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. What is he doing here? He's quoting from the book of Isaiah and he's taking it back to the transience of everything else. He's saying everything else is going to fade away. The beauty of everything else is going to fade away. The purity of everything else is going to be shown to be corrupted. But the one thing that's going to be sustained is going to last is going to be the word of God. Now, let me ask you a question. How are you cultivating the word of God in your own life? So, We're talking about this word is the seed of God planted in your veins that gives you, springs up and gives you eternal life. Well, let me ask you a question. How much of that is actually cultivated in your veins? Just keep going with that metaphor. How much is the word of God saturating your life and informing and influencing your relationships with each other? How many of us could actually draw from the well of the word of God that we know and have internalized in order to inform our minds about how we're supposed to view other people? 
The word of God that was preached to you, the word of God that says to you, you are broken and God came to you and fixed you in spite of yourself, not because of yourself. And that word is what informs our view of other people and our view of ourselves. And that word doesn't change. So every single time, listen, every single time that you respond according to the word of God that's in you towards other people, you are making an eternal investment because the word of God will never fade away. How much of our time and our energy is poured out for things that will actually not last for the next hundred years? The grass withers, the flower falls. How many of the things that we're pouring ourselves out for every single day, how many things that we allow to cultivate in our own hearts and in our own minds, the things that we mull over, that we plant, that we fertilize, that we water in our minds and in our hearts, how many of those things every single day getting all of our attention will wither and will fade away? How about instead cultivating, watering, fertilizing the thing that will last forever, the scriptures, the word of God in our own hearts, in our own minds, so that we can live as those who love as God loves, as God has loved us and then God inspires us to love one another. And let me ask this very specifically. The first way that we talked about that our souls are corrupted and prevents us from loving other, other people is our disobedience to the truth. How many of us right now are hiding some sin that we don't want to tell anybody else about. We're harboring some secret sin and you know that it's corrupting you. It, it's corrupting you. It's keeping you from being able to feel nearness to God. It's corrupting you from feeling nearness and love for other people because it's something that you know God disapproves of but you're keep choosing to keep it in your life. It's going to keep eating you alive. It's going to keep corrupting your soul and it's going to keep destroying the relationships around you. That's what sin does. Disobedience to the truth. You know what's true. You know what's right. And God has said it and said it plainly. But continually persisting in that, continuing to put it in front of you, continuing to act out in that way, whatever that secret sin is, it will continue to corrupt. There will be no light at the end of this if you continue to feed darkness. It will only breed more corruption and more pain and more heartache and more um, estranged relationships. That's what it will do. And take it very seriously. We learned last week that if you call Father, the one who impartially judges and will judge each man according to his own works, conduct yourself with fear during your time on earth. If you're, a har if you're harboring a secret sin you hope no one finds about, just know that that sin is all it takes to send you to hell. The sin that is unrepented of is the sin that leads you to hell. God takes sin very, very seriously. It destroys everything around you and the relationships that are falling apart are falling apart because you're not addressing the sin. Use this as a wake-up call. God speaking to you to say, don't play with that. It will kill you, literally. Don't play with that anymore. It's destroying you and everything around you and will destroy you for eternity. Instead, all the stuff and the pleasures and, that sin gives us in this life, all that stuff withers away. 
just like the grass, but the word of God will stand forever. That's what we cultivate. That's what we water. That's what we see. Abound in love for one another as he makes himself known through us in this life. Would you pray for me? God in heaven, thank you so much for your kindness to us. Thank you for not leaving us without a word, but giving us the eternal word that shapes us, that remakes us. And Father, we struggle to love one another because we don't have pure hearts, many of us. Because the falsehood that we, talk, that we tell ourselves, the narrative, the stories we tell about others and ourselves and our mind corrupts our soul and keeps us from looking at each other in truth. I pray that this church would be known for its love. I pray that Crossing would be known by the watching world as a church that loves one another, truly, so that all men may know that we are your disciples by our love for one another. I pray, Father, that you would help us take next steps in response to this by intentionally finding ways to love one another. Not ignore one another, not prioritize other things. I pray that we would prioritize each other and that there would be a ripple effect of love from a pure heart that's earnest, that's sincere. So the world would know that, that this is what happens when you plant your word in your people. Would you do this, I pray, in the strong name of Christ. Amen.